Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Sawalier Pride podcast. And today's guest is Vince Clark. He is back for part two of our conversation on leadership. So if you missed part one, go back and check out episode 278, uh, where we talk about uh, a little research survey that we came up with for uh, the ASHA convention a few years back and decided to finally share some of the information that, that we had found. So hopefully you enjoy the rest of this conversation. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. All right. Hello, Vince. Hi, Teresa. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Sorry we're not in your fancy new podcast suite, but, um, you know, we can Zoom it today and finish this uh finish this talk up. Yes. Yes. So we are back for part two, the continuation of our leadership talk that we put together. As Vince said, we recorded part one in the podcast studio in my office, and then we had some technical difficulties towards the end. And I had the AV people come back out and help me with it. And as it turns out, the battery died because I didn't have the camera plugged in. So that's where we're at. So (laughs) and it's all fixed, but we are going to finish up part two over Zoom today. Technical difficulties. So I guess just to bring everybody up to speed, um, if, if you have not listened to part one, Teresa and I put together a survey. Oh gosh, what, uh, two and a half years ago now? Years ago, yeah. It, it actually, uh, was to kind of gauge how SLPs view leadership within our profession. We ended up getting uh, accepted as an ASHA presentation and then COVID happened. And for uh, various reasons, we were unable to uh, end up presenting this at Ashes. So we've kind of had this on the back burner for the past couple of years. And I, and I kept aggravating Teresa that I really feel like people need to kind of hear this information and think about it so that we can uh, make some sort of plan to move forward and do more with it in the future. All right. So so where did we where did we leave off? So it's. As we were going, we were going through the questions that we had surveyed the participants about before. So where did we leave off? And- so we so we finished all the survey uh, information, and I, um, you know, I encourage people to go back and, and listen to that. It's 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 interesting. I think we need to refine it some more, but it's interesting as far as the information that we got. One of the things that we had them do is that we wanted them to kind of free write or express how they viewed leadership, like. What does leadership mean to them? And and we left it very uh, intentionally ambiguous. We didn't want to lead them in their responses in any way. 
we just kind of wanted to think of this in a way almost as a psychological experiment. Um, when given the opportunity to talk about leadership, what would you say about it? So um, I thought we would start by maybe sharing some of those answers. I'm not going to read all whatever we got, 127 responses or whatever it might be. Uh, don't want to bore everybody to death. But I then took those responses and kind of melted them down into six questions that I thought we could kind of broach um, after we hear some of this information. So one of the first answers that we got was uh, what does leadership or what does being a leader mean to you? And um, for instance, someone responded, someone who always sets the right example, someone who is respected by most, someone who has genuine compassion, yet a firmness required for leading, someone who admits not, uh, not knowing everything and seeks proper information. Uh, so I thought that was one of the better answers that we got. It's kind of a, almost a, a moral a moral response, I guess you could say, um, that leaders should, in fact, I guess, hold themselves up as an example to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any 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 thoughts about that? It's interesting. I think it's I, th I think it's a very scripted response in that I just I feel like that's you know sort of what people think leadership is. And, and that's okay. I, I just think it's a very surface level description. I think once you get in... That's a great way to put it. I haven't, I haven't thought of it that way. Yeah. I think once you actually get into being a leader, you see how... And I don't want to use the word difficult because I don't want people to think it's not, it's not fulfilling and rewarding because it very much is. But it's much, much, much harder than that. And you're never going to make everybody happy. You're never going to always do what people think that you should do because there's always so many sides to every dynamic. And, you know, I think, I think leadership really is just doing what, what you think is going to be the best and most beneficial outcome for the majority. Because like I said, you're never going to please everybody. And there's always so many facets to things. Um, and I really think, you know, I, I can't say this enough that emotional intelligence is so, so, so important in all of this because you're dealing with a lot of powerful personalities. I don't think powerful is the word. A lot of intense personalities, you know, people that are leaders are leaders because they, they're, they want to accomplish something and they're really tenacious in the way that they want to get things done. And sometimes it comes off as aggressive or passionate. Um, and, and you do have to have some of that. You have to have grit. You have to have tenacity to be a leader and to sometimes see a lot of these, these difficult situations through. But there's also this, this side of, you know, you might get knocked down. You might not get your way. You might get a lot of opposition. You might be misunderstood. And there's a lot of emotional intelligence that goes into how you react to that, how you bounce back from that, how you push forward through that, and how you relay that information to your teams, um, to, to the people around you. So it's, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, I want so many more people to rise to the occasion and to be leaders because I think we as SLPs have so many fantastic leadership skills within us. We just don't, I think, use them to the best of our abilities sometimes, or we don't know that we possess those qualities. Um, but I think it's a lot more complex and, and there's going to be some more adversity than just saying, 
you know, it's just a person that, that always does right is always respected and is always, you know, listened to because that's a very, you know, I think rosy version of what being a true leader who really truly affects change is. Right. And, and, you know, as we talked about, we knew that when we got these answers that it was just going to lead to more questions. Um, You know, how do we, you know, how do we flesh out something more substantial in the future? So here's some more of the responses and I'll just read a few in a row. So leadership, uh, a leader should build up others. Um, They should be supportive of quality patient care. They should hold their self and others accountable. Um, I noticed that in a lot of the responses that, again, some of these moral, uh, some of these morality responses about uh, very much wanting uh, people to be held accountable. You know, and again, I almost feel like some of these people are responding from a place of they haven't seen that going on in their current jobs. Um, and they feel uh, damaged by it in a way. Some of the podcasts that I listen to uh, about leadership, they they talk about, particularly in healthcare, uh, about how we are often victims of what they call uh, moral injury. Um, I don't know if you've heard that term before. Yeah. But, you know, I find it very interesting. And they say that that is, you know, we use the term burnout sometimes, but it's really that we are having to to work in such a way that we feel morally injured. So I, I find it interesting that we're getting, you know, some such strong responses. I actually just finished recording a podcast with Lisa Johnson, and I don't know which order this will, I don't know if we'll air this part first or Lisa's part first, but okay. whatever order, go listen to Lisa's podcast if you're listening to this, because she talks all about what productivity actually is and how it's carried, you know, it's gotten this whole life of its own in, you know, is it only billable hours or is it also include documentation? Does it include care plan meetings? Does it include department meetings? Does it include interdisciplinary meetings? And it was really interesting, all the things that we went into about what actually is legal and what actually is ethical and what actually is morally wrong. Um, so it's a really, really good episode for people to listen to because I think it'll, it'll, if you're one of those people that's sort of in one of these facilities that you feel is horribly unethical or has really ridiculous productivity standards and you're wanting to stand up and fight against that, you're wanting to be the leader that, that says, Hey, this isn't right. This is not sustainable. You know, no SLP should be working in these conditions. Go listen to that episode because it's really gives you some really good tangible things to bring back to administration that they may not even realize are not, you know, part of what we do or should be part of what we do. So. Um, and I think that's a big part of the moral injury piece. Yeah, and I, and and I'm I'm sure you know that that Lisa will deep dive into all of that. But the whole productivity and leadership around productivity issue is it's so uh, actually it's so convoluted because people. Um, well, Lisa, you know, I know that she's in a situation similar to what I was, which was she she supplies services internally to her own organization. And that's kind of the situation I was in um, with Ethica and, and, and Integra when I worked with them. So addressing productivity was a lot easier than um, some people that are actually part of entirely separate organizations servicing a customer have to deal with. And I'm sure we, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into all that. We could, I'm sure Lisa covers it beautifully. And, um, you know, I can talk about that forever. Anyway, anything else to say about that? 
no, I, I just think that ties ties into all of that. I think that podcast and this podcast go they they hold hands nicely. Okay, so so moving on with some of these responses, um, multifaceted, uh, dynamic uh, leadership should be uh, engagement of self and others, and someone willing to provide advocacy. Another response: communicate effectively, feedback often, explain expectations, coach and provide opportunities for personal and professional growth. I really I like that. That's a that's a good one. Creating space for others to learn, grow, and flourish. Taking on a role to guide a team in a new direction and to handle the administrative aspects of a department. Anything you want to, anything true or thought with any of those? Yeah, I think those are really good. I think dynamic really hit me because I think, you know, you have to, being a leader, you have to stretch yourself into a lot of different situations. You have to be able to have a really calm, rational conversation with, you know, someone that may be feeling really defeated and, and may just feel really lost. And you have to sort of, you have to be there for them. You have to be empathetic and, and understand what they're going through and, and give them some feedback to sort of help get them on the, the right path. And then on the flip side, you've got to be able to turn it on and go to bat for the people that you're leading. So so I think there there is a lot of, I think dynamic is is the best way to describe sort of the personality qualities that you need to possess to be an effective leader and, and to meet a lot of people where they are. You know, some people aren't led effectively by an aggressive tone. Some really just want a person to relate to, whereas the opposite might be true for other people. Other people only respond to, you know, loud, aggressive, motivational behavior. Um, so it's it's really knowing how your people respond um, and, and then being able to sort of adapt that also to who you're delivering your message to. And a lot of times it's just, you know, people are fighting for the same things, but the way they deliver the messages isn't interpreted properly. So um, it, that all goes back to that emotional intelligence piece on, on knowing who you're speaking to and, and really trying to tailor how you're speaking to that person. Um, I know. I know. I've talked in the past. I've discussed um, when I've done other leadership talks, like focusing in on certain aspects of it. Um, there's one piece of information that I always think about all the time, and that is fostering a two-way street of communication between you and your you and your team. You know, I'll never I'll never forget someone that I really respect that's in a leadership role telling me that. She was often surprised at how people would never come forward with their issues or complaints, no matter how much she she felt like she asked as a leader. And that often when people resigned, that's when they let it all out. Mm -hmm. So it is a two-way street as far as uh, trying to figure out how to get your people to, to open up and talk to you and and all that stuff that again goes along with emotional uh intelligence that you were that you were I, that's such a good point that you said that vince and i i've thought of that conversation often because i've had people i've had maybe two or three people that have you know left working for me and i and i had no idea that things were you know not not okay i had no idea until they left and then they told me all the things and it's like we if we had more open conversations we could have talked about this in between so i think it's really you know it's interesting it's obviously you know what i did poorly and how i can change things but i think you know to be an effective leader and to learn leadership skills is to have these conversations ongoing you know 
I think we don't do an, we don't do a good enough job of it. I don't do a good enough job of just, you know, checking in with people on a regular basis because it's hard. You know, we all have a million responsibilities, but something I want to be more intentional of this year because of those situations. But um, I think it's something that if you're looking to grow into a leadership role, learning to be able to advocate for those things, don't wait till things bubble over. You know, I think of, I had a conversation with somebody like, you know, the, the glass just kept getting more full, more full, more full, more full. They weren't having these conversations, then the glass overflowed, right? And so, you know, how can you have these conversations and sort of nip situations in the bud or or make people feel heard or validated before the glass overflows? Yes. Um, and you are talking directly to what I have recognized over the years is one of my weaknesses. Um, one that I hope that I've got more under control at this point in my career than I did previously, but um, I used to be the person that I could do it all. I could take on everything, load me up, nothing is beyond me, and it's just not true. It's not true of anybody. And um, I used to see it as, as a weakness if I couldn't do everything that I felt like um, either I was asking of others or they were asking of me. So very, very, very good point. So getting back to some of these questions, so let's see. We've had some of the good ones. I think everybody would assume that people may have some negative input. So um, looking at some of the negative input that we got, I have only heard of leadership positions, if there are any, and for an SLP, uh, being the director of rehab um, or lead SLP to a team of other SLPs maybe leading PT and OT. I don't know of other people that have moved beyond this level. So I thought that was interesting. This is somebody that I think uh, we often we often see the response, I feel my, de- my degree has limited me, being an SLP has limited me, which is honestly one thing that I have never felt. I have always felt that getting a master's in speech-language pathology has allowed me to be exposed to a bunch of different ideas, concepts, particularly how to communicate with others, which I think is often a weakness of other leaders. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I think I, I think it's interesting because I think as speech pathologists, we have so many skills that that do translate to leadership positions. But then I think there are some of these other skills, these emotional intelligence skills, things like that, that are taught to PTs more. And and I'm using the term PT directly because I know a lot of times we're always like, it's the PTs that always get these, these jobs or, you know, and, and whether it's right or wrong in your facility, that's just the the profession I chose to pick on right now. Um, But I think they learn a lot more about leadership skills and managerial skills that we just don't, don't learn. But if you, if I think it's the perfect marriage, if you can combine just sort of these communication skills with some of these emotional intelligence skills, that's what makes a good effective leader. You know, uh, we don't often disagree about things, but I'm going to disagree with you about that. I don't think PTs and OTs learn any more in grad school than, than we do. I didn't do. say OTs. I said PTs. Okay. PTs. I'll, I'll, stick with, <laughs> I'll, stick, I'll, stick with, I'll stick with PTs. I really don't think they learn any more about quote unquote leadership than we do. What I think is the difference is the ecosystem of healthcare is set up in such a way 
that other disciplines are taught to see them as leaders. Interesting. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that has been my experience over the year that it's the physical therapy. I mean, think about even how I mean we talk all the time about how important language is. Okay, we should know this. Where do you work? Most people work in the physical therapy department. What does that tell you? Right off, physical therapy must be the most important thing that goes on in this building. Um, I know that's not true everywhere. I know that, you know, other, you know, maybe larger institutions have speech pathology or whatever. But it's always framed in the context of, of working in a physical therapy department. Dude, nothing wrong. I mean, I don't want anybody to think I'm, I'm downing PTs. I, I, I love physical therapists. I'm, I'm working with Russ Campbell now almost on a daily basis. And um, some of the best learning I've done has been has been working with Russ from a physical therapy standpoint. So it's not that, that I don't think they have a lot to offer. They do have a lot to offer. Um, it's just that I don't think that they're any more taught leadership in grad school than we are. It's just kind of the environmental focus of, of what happens when they come out of come out of school and hit the workplace. But but I say that to to let people know that those are things they can change. Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. you can you can go to an administrator and say, you know, we're not all physical therapists here. Um, and I don't mean this in a petty way, but, you know, could we be recognized as the speech pathology department, the SLP department? Our, you know, and, 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 and this translates to even bigger issues because how people get promoted and, and how jobs are framed may be appropriate for physical therapy, but not so appropriate for speech. But yet we're all held to a, to a similar, to a similar metric. So, you know, those are concerns that, you know, you can bring. You know, I, when I, when we were with Integra, I used to say, hey, it's not fair for XYZ to do, you know, a, a competency checklist on me or a review because they don't even understand what I do in my job. Mm-hmm. So those are just those are simple things that, that we can change in the workplace. All right. So what I did for the rest of the stuff, I know we're burning through time. I wanted to. Just kind of take, just distill these questions down, uh, the other 75 or 80 that we got and just kind of turn these into questions that I could, that we could throw out and uh, briefly discuss. So here's a distillation of a lot of the questions that we got. When it comes to leadership, I don't even know where to start. So where should they start, Teresa? Oh, that's a good one. Man, I, I mean, I, I keep harping on this, but I can't tell you how impactful I, I think learning about emotional intelligence is. And then there's also, I've had this conversation with about three different, I, I'm really learning a lot about like organizational management, organizational behavior, things like that. I'm really interested in those, that type of information that I'm learning in my PhD program. I've had three different conversations lately about people that that really value the the emotional intelligence quotient. I think it's like the EIQ or EQI2 is the name of the assessment. Right. I have no like financial stake or anything in this. I just think it's a really good test. I think it costs like 50 bucks to actually take it, but the the results, well, and that's to get one that gives you like personalized interpretation, which I think is important because what it does is it talks about three skills that you are super strong in. And then it talks about three skills that you're very weak in. Um, it gives you your your score, your results across all these domains. But I thought that was the most powerful because what that taught to me, and this is conversations I've had with other people, is really lean into those strengths. Like like learning, you know, it was things that I knew that I was okay at or pretty good at, but I didn't realize I was 
compared to leaders all across the world, I didn't realize that I possessed these specific qualities that much more. So to me, it meant really lean into these, right? And then on the flip side, the three things that I was very poor at, I was like, ooh, ouch, okay. Um, and, and I think that gives you a roadmap to to know like, okay, these are skills that I need to learn more about. And and in doing that test, it tells you, it gives you some examples of, of things to read or or areas to improve upon. So I think just doing that is a really good way to get to know yourself better. I think getting to know yourself is the best way to become a better leader. And you got there. And what I was yeah. what I was going to sum up what you're saying is where do you start? You start by knowing yourself. To thine, to thine own self be true, as Shakespeare would say. Mm-hmm. You gotta know who you are before you can influence who other people are. Yeah. So I think that's why people that are in leadership, people that are trying to grow, do read a lot and read a lot of I don't I don't know if self help is the right term. Personal development. Personal development materials. Absolutely. You've got to be comfortable with yourself. You've got to be able to tell the people you're trying to influence who you are. All right. That is great. That's that's good stuff. I would say that's part one. I would say where to start part one. I would say part two is to see what sort of opportunities are available now in your facility. So whether it's different committees that you can be a part of, whether it's, you know, there might be openings for other leadership positions that may be just only advertised to the PTs, you know, see if that's something that was just an oversight or if you could apply for that position. I think, you know, we talked about this in part one too, but I think volunteering to go up to some of these committees just to get to know other people and see how other people lead, um, I think is the best way to sort of just get your foot in the door and, and insert yourself into some of these positions. So that, that leads um, as a perfect transition to a similar question to the first, but I thought it was distinct enough. I don't feel I have the skills to assume a leadership role. So what you're talking about is, is, uh, perfect. How do you get, how do you get those skills? A lot of times it's just like you're saying it is finding areas that you might fit and just jumping into them. Even if you don't feel like you're, if you wait until you're ready, you'll never do anything because you'll never be ready enough. Yeah. I I think, I think this is twofold. Um, And and I'm probably going to say some things that contradict each other here, but I think number one (laughs) is experience. Do you have experience in this area? You know, have you been an SLP for 10, 15 years? You're experienced, right? Or on this, you know, say it's a, a Medicare committee, you know, have you immersed yourself in learning Medicare? You have experience. Go try to join that committee. On the flip side, Hard work and acquiring knowledge can make up a huge experience gap. So if you do join some committee, but it's not something you have a strong skill set in, dedicate a lot of time to learning that. I know I've joined committees. I've I've been in leadership roles where it was sort of like it, the opportunity fell in my lap and it sounded good and I knew I could contribute in some way. But I had to work really hard to acquire the knowledge that was that was necessary and I think sometimes we think, oh, just joining these committees or going to these meetings, that is the the time commitment. But a lot of times there's a lot more time you have to put in behind the scenes to get up to speed. And I know, you know, that's something when you were on the state board, you had to learn and and know all these rules and regulations and things that you had no idea about ahead of time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And nobody and nobody taught you that stuff either. It yeah, was yeah. it was it was a learn or burn, you know, basically. So going back, uh, this is, you know, this, 
I think we can reinterpret this response a little differently, um, and we're kind of touching on it now. I don't feel that SLPs get a chance at leadership. We've kind of touched on this already, but I think we can dive a little bit deeper into this to to maybe show where that's not true, and maybe at times it's just because you're not seeing the opportunity in front of you. Mm-hmm. So. I also don't want to discount the fact that sometimes people do take jobs where there is not an opportunity for leadership. So I don't want to I don't want to gaslight anybody and say, oh, it's it's just you. You know, the reason you're not looking hard enough or you're not studying hard enough. I don't want to do that to anybody because you've got to be able to recognize you've got to. I mean, I've had to do this in my career. I've had to step back and say, I can beat, I can beat my head against this wall until I'm bloody and I'm not going to get an opportunity to move forward. So sometimes you have to cut your losses. And, and that is a, that is a skill in and of itself. Absolutely. That, is, that is a skill to learn when you're in the wrong place to, to get the things that you want. Yep. I love that you said that actually, because I just had a conversation with, with someone that, she was in quote unquote her dream job and she had worked there for gosh, 10 plus years. She was lead SLP. She put in tons and tons of protocols and she, she did it. I mean, you know, it was very admirable what she did to this facility, but she took a step back and was like, this is it. You know, there is, there is no place else to go go in this hospital. So, you know, she said it took her about a year before she finally realized, you know, I don't know if I want to get into leadership, but I also don't have the opportunity here. And so she decided to make the switch. She took a pay cut, went to a different hospital, but one that had, I think it's like a 2000 bed. It's a massive hospital, but there's tons of committees, leadership roles that have SLPs involved. And so she's really happy she made the switch because she said she's gotten involved in some some of these committees that she said are just really eye-opening and she just feels really reinvigorated and really passionate about. And I was like, I, I just, I was really, you know, commending her for making that move because it's, it's, it's tough. And like you said, she, that was what she had to do. She had to take the step back to say, there is, there is no opportunity for me here. Yeah. And so, well, in stepping back a little bit too. So, so let's, let's also take some personal responsibility because I've also seen it in the other direction where you are the problem. It's not the environment you're in. It's that you can't recognize opportunity. So, how do you develop opportunity? And I, I want to encourage people. Um, let's let's say, for instance, you're. Uh, I'll I'll use my body of experience. Let's say that you work in a large sniff organization or a sniff organization. So you kind of know the structures that are within those within those buildings. You've got therapy. You've got nursing. You've got uh, administrative staff. You've got all the parts that work together. Hopefully, if you're in a, in a good ethical place doing what they should, you know, th- th- that's not a piece you have to consider. But if you want to move into roles where you're going to, say, be managing multidisciplinary members, you've got to you've got to step back and think, what what tools do I need to do that? And how can, and how can I get them? One of the things I've I've never done this. I thought about doing it myself, but this is something that, that I haven't done but is open for anybody is get your administrator's license. If you work in a skilled nursing facility, there's nothing stopping you from studying for taking and getting your 
your own skilled nursing administrator license. You will learn so much in that process. Yes. And and I, I can't speak for every state because it works different in every state. But I believe in Georgia, if you already have a four-year degree, I think you could just you study and take the test. Now, if you don't, there is a process of like mentorship. And, and I could be wrong. I could, and let me say I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty close to right about the process. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just those kind of opportunities. I, I love that you said that because I had no idea about that. And I had a friend, I had a friend whose son was a PT, but just wanted to be involved in hospital administration, did not want to go to work as a PT, went and took the administrator's test. Also, his fiance took it as well. So they both took it. At the age of 25, they're both like VPs of some like healthcare system, which is totally insane. But it allowed them to, you know, go from being, you know, out of grad school as a therapist to having this license to now, you know, stepping into a huge leadership role. I'm not saying that's the best, but I'm just saying it opens up a lot of doors. <laughs> I, I, I have worked for uh, nursing home administrators that, that didn't have college degrees. Yeah. You know, they they started um, as a CNA in a building and have worked their way up into that role. And you may not ever want to be a nursing home administrator. That's that's not the point of this. The point is that if you will notice, if you ever see anybody that has the designation LNHA, I think, on their on their tag or in a resume or whatever, they're a licensed nursing home administrator. They have they have studied and passed and know what they need to know to administer a nursing home. They could technically be hired in that role uh, in anywhere uh, in whatever state they're licensed in. So, and that's just one idea. There, there are certainly other things you can do. You and I have talked about, um, most people are unaware that um, you can go to their, uh, like, like for instance, again, the University System of Georgia. There are tons of different certifications that you can get through colleges. Uh, you can. You don't have to go get an MBA to, you know, get some sort of financial cert for working in healthcare or gerontology or whatever it is you might be interested in. And there's tons of those. You just have to uh, go to whatever school you're interested in, or go to the system you're interested in, and search for their their certifications. And these are not degrees. They're not bachelor's degrees or master's degrees. They're just certifications in particular areas. I have I have sat and just looked through all the ones, like say the University of Georgia offers. There's a ton of just in Georgia. All right. So uh, the next question is, and this kind of all goes together. How could I possibly manage a multi multidisciplinary team? And I would reframe that question and say, why couldn't you do it? Absolutely. But I'm going to reframe that into what is the singular focus that we all have. To improve patient care. Right. Thank you. Good. So I think that's what a lot of teams lose sight of. And and I know that question has come up. I'm involved in another committee at a local hospital, and that question comes up all the time. We're all in different roles in the hospital. There's dietary, there's, there's hospice, there's all sorts of different departments that seem like nobody has anything in common. Everybody has one thing in common. And I think that's what you have to keep in mind. That that is the one thing, the one thing. That is super deep. That is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, what a great way to put it. No matter what we're doing in healthcare, it's always supposed to be about patient. Mm-hmm. That is that is great. That that uh, PhD you're pursuing might be paying off. I know. I know. Might actually pay off. Who knew? 
All right. So here is um, kind of a technical job related question. I think it I think it kind of works with how do I get promoted? How do I get a raise? This kind of stuff. How do I get a raise or a promotion in my job as an SLP? That is the best answer that I have learned to refine it down to. Because I can't tell you how many times I have been asked this question in presentations or just riding down the road and I get a phone call and I get, you know, this this frustrated therapist clinician saying, they tell me how great I am. They tell me how good I am at my job. They pat me on the head. I can't get a raise. You got to ask for it. That's the, that is the, that is the best distillation I can, I can get. What can you do? If you're doing your job well, if you're doing the things you need to do, if you're excelling, you need to tell them that and you need to ask for it. If they tell you no at that point, that's a different conversation. But if you're not doing your part in that equation, don't, you know, don't blame your job. This idea of I should get it just because I deserve it is something that I hear a lot. Unfortunately, that's not how it often works. That's not how the system works. Yeah. And, and I'll add something to this based on just a lot of experience that I have and, and, and whether, whether you agree with this or not, that's not the point of this. But I've had people ask for a raise just because they've worked in a position for so many years. And in some, in some facilities, they do get, you know, a, a 0.01% raise every year or something, you know, something like that. But what I'm, what I would say is if you're going to ask for a raise, Please provide me undeniable reasons as to why. Right. So please make it so that I can't say no. Make it, present me your updated resume, everything you've accomplished in the last three years. I know what you've done for the company, but I'm also interested in your professional or in your personal development, in your personal growth, things that you've learned, things that you you volunteer for, things like that. I want to know how... I want to reward people that want to do better for themselves. And and I just know what you've done for the company, but I'm also interested in what you've done for yourself and how this job has contributed to that. So so I tell people that ask me for a raise, please give me undeniable proof as to why you deserve this raise. Um, and, it, and it feels good. Like it feels good to see what all these people have accomplished. And it feels good to put that together too. Like I know even when I, I still think of this, I'm just, you know, working on my board certification and swallowing renewal now and like, it feels good to write down all the stuff I've accomplished in the last few years. So that, that's what I would say if, yes, number one, go ask for that raise. Number two, provide undeniable proof why you deserve that raise. As I'm reading some of the Facebook posts, I often see people say, you know, you as an employee, we're all just um, a dime a dozen and anybody's replaceable, blah, blah, blah. That's true, but that's not true. I, I don't. I don't subscribe to that. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so to a certain extent, might be true, but I can assure you, as someone that um, had to be responsible for hiring and yes. putting people in place and making sure they can do their job, there is nobody that that has the burden of those responsibilities that is thinking, "Lottie da, I can just fire on my staff anytime I want to." Uh, I mean, it doesn't. That's that's. Not really the way it works. If you, again, if you're in that environment where it seems like, you know, they'll fire people at a whim, you're probably in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. There, there is nothing. I would say there, there is nothing harder than being a leader, being a boss, than 
than than managing the hiring and firing aspect because it's like if you if you're a good leader you genuinely care about your people and, sure. and nobody wants yeah. to fire anybody but also you you get attached to people too and you want to continue to push them to succeed too so um yeah i i i don't i don't subscribe to that i can't say there's somebody there's anybody that works for me that if they stopped working for me i wouldn't care I would be lying if I said, you know, fine, go find another job. I, the, I, I'm not like that. Like I genuinely wow. care about people that work for me. So I, wow. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's the culture in your workplace, then maybe go find one that does care about you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, it's it, again, and it's just shocking to me how often I see people, people write that. But if that's the, really, if that's the feeling that you're getting from the employer that you're at, there's probably, way deeper issues going on there um, than just who's working for the company mm-hmm. or whether or not you can get a promotion. So uh, one final uh, question that I kind of distilled down from all of the other questions, what skills should I focus on education-wise in order to become a leader? Education-wise? Mm-hmm. Help, help me with that. Well, I mean, I guess that can be, I mean, I guess when they say education, it can be anything. I mean, I I would interpret that as what can I learn to help me in this role? And I know we've kind of touched on this already, but I guess there, I guess the way I interpret this is what specific degrees, what specific qualifications, what is important to most healthcare um, organizations. So for instance, if I have answered this question, and I knew that this was someone that was trying to move because, because I know, I, you know, and I, and I hate this because there seems to be this big move right now of people looking for non-clinical jobs. I want to, I want to move away from doing clinical all the time. So let's say that you've decided that's what you want to do. You want to move into something that's not clinical. Well, then you're going to have to understand non-clinical things. You're going to have to understand maybe how billing works. So maybe you're going to get more education in in the billing process or the uh, the technical process of coding. Does that make sense? Does that seem like I'm on the right track? Maybe with with that thought process. Let's say you want to get into. Uh, I'm trying to think of the roles that I've had and things that I've done. Like um, you want to get into recruiting then you're going to have to understand more of the human resources aspects. And then circling back to some of these questions and answers that we had before, these are all things that you can look for, for like certifications and, um, you know, looking in at some of your local universities for particular classes or something that you can take without getting a whole degree if you want to do that. There are a lot of, like we do CEUs, when you start getting into the world of work and uh, learning how to, so I've noticed the trend is that we have a lot of SLPs kind of delving into marketing, sales, which is what I'm doing. So it makes sense that if you want to do those kind of things, those are the kind of classes because you're an SLP already. You know, you've got that degree. So how can you supplement? Um, learning that stuff. So for me, it's meant if I want to, if I want to help promote a product or a service, 
that I better know how Facebook works and how those marketing algorithms kick in. Those are things that you can do. Facebook will give you an entire certification on how to, well, meta now, what they call themselves, how to use their services for free. And it's not easy. It's not, it's not a throwaway course. It's, it's hard stuff, but they'll give it to you. Well, not hard stuff. We certainly can learn it, but it's, it's, it's something we can get for, for free. You just have to know to look for it. So those are some of the things that I have done to learn how to use some of these social media products like Canva and what's some other stuff we use. Uh, Instagram, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a Gen Xer figuring out how to use, uh, Instagram, um, and make it beneficial. How to, uh, you know, what's the difference between LinkedIn and, and Facebook and all these other platforms, Twitter, you know, where do you want to be? If you want to catch the eye of, you know, whoever you might be trying to, to sell to, like, like for me, Facebook is the place to be for a lot of this stuff at an Instagram. So anyway, just some, just some thoughts from my perspective of things that I've done. And I, I am one of those people that, uh, have decided that I wanted to do other things besides clinical, which has led me to doing some uh, contract work for the collective that has led me to working with amp care with, uh, with their product. Um, it has led me to, what else am I doing? Uh, training these with Eric Blicker. Um, so I'm doing a whole bunch of different things, which for my personality is great. You know, I get so bored at times doing just one particular thing, but, um, and, and I'm staying clinical. I go out and I do fees so that, because I feel like I need to be legitimate, you know, when I'm telling other people how to do stuff, you know, or, or training them. I don't want to be the person that says, yeah, this is how you should do it, but I don't do it anymore. So there's just a lot of ways to shape a career beyond what we traditionally think is, is the way to shape a career or to become a leader in this case. So those are my thoughts. And those are um, all the questions that I have or put to put together. Yeah. So, so I just wanted to answer that question. I think, you know, as far as education, I, like I said, I keep going back to, you have to know yourself first and you have to know your strengths and weaknesses first. And I think, you know, what I, what I always challenge people to do, I'm a big vision person, right? Like I live with my head in the clouds, like every day is rainbows and butterflies in my world. But like, I do a lot of vision casting. Like, what do I want my life to look like in 10 to 20 years? What do I want my legacy to look like? What do I want to contribute to the world? What do I want to contribute to this field? And I don't think we give ourselves enough permission to just dream huge and don't put like, don't write something down and then say, oh, but I could never do that and frost it out. Like, no, write it down and just leave it. And, and I think just doing these sort of exercises, it becomes really clear what you're passionate about. So just throwing something out there. What if it is starting your own nursing home? You know, it's like writing that down just might seem like the most ridiculous thing on the face of the earth, but write that down, right? And then from there, it shows you where your passions lie. And from there, you can, you know, take those take the emotional intelligence assessment, see what your strengths are. Um, and then from there, you can sort of start to put the pieces together, say, okay, if this is something I'm really passionate about, maybe I should go pursue some more training in this area. Maybe I should get a certification in this area. And I mean, I just love education. I love learning. I mean, clearly I'm going back for my PhD when I have zero time in the world right now, 
But what's so interesting is you don't, you don't, I don't know what person I'm going to be when I finish this PhD in four years, but I do know that I love the stuff that I'm learning and I'm certainly going to put some of these pieces into play. And right now, like they're having a field day with me because I will not pick a concentration. I'm taking four, I'm taking classes across four concentrations. I'm, you know, I'm Teresa, I choose my own adventure, but it's because I have different passions and I know eventually one of them will be crystal clear to me which way I want to go. But to me, you just sort of have to jump first and, and figure out things along the way. So if you are interested in taking some sort of certification, once you dive into that work, it will become clearer to you what where your passions lie. And then I think, you know, on, on the flip side of that education and things like that, I do read a lot of personal development books. I was holding up this one book, um, this book called Mindset. Um, by Dr. Carol Dweck. She's a Stanford professor. And um, I had everybody on my team read this. It's fantastic because it just talks about like we, you know, whether it's it's how you're raised, your your the way you're raised culturally, your your family, the traumas you've been through, all sorts of different things shape our mindset, right? And it's easy for us to say, oh, I could never do that or I could never be that person. But it's it's as simple as a mindset shift and saying I could do that or I could achieve that or I could go after that. Oh, yeah. This is a great place to start with how to even be open minded. You know, I think, you know, we see so many people, we see so many SLPs that say I could never do that or we don't we don't belong in that room or I've never been invited in that room. You can boil it down. And this is a piece of advice that I give to people. They will often say I have this chance. You and I had this conversation yesterday, as a matter of fact, about something else. Um, I've got this chance to do this thing, but I'm not sure that I'm ready yet. So I'm going to say no. Yes. Okay. Because that's safe, right? If you tell somebody no, even though it's something you really want to do, then you don't have to worry about failing at it. So if it scares you, it's probably something you should be doing. You should do. Yep. Right. Run you know into who the, supported me? When run I into the fire. Wanted, yeah. When I said I was going to start my PhD last year, you know who said it was a good idea? One person. Every other person that I told that I was thinking of going back to PhD school, thinking of doing it, said it's probably not a good idea. You have so many other things going on. One person said it was a good idea. And I think... I, nev- you know, I never... I don't know what my response to you was. I don't think I asked that. you. You, you, probably, you probably didn't care. <laughs> probably didn't care what I had to say. But... My only like it was it was never that I thought it wasn't a good idea. It was just like, how can she do one more thing? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want you to break. You know, um, just but, bend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, but you're also you're hitting on something else. A lot of people, you know, there are a lot of SLPD programs popping up everywhere. And if you get online and, and people say, should I get my SLPD or should I get my PhD? Often, the should I get my SOPD is met with a negative response. Oh, it's not a terminal degree. Oh, you'll never be tenured faculty at blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's not the point of getting the degree. That was your point for getting the degree. Mm-hmm. So I've really been encouraging people that if they want to further their education, look into SLPD programs in speech pathology uh, a lot of them allow you to shape, like I, I know at Valdosta State, where I'm teaching as an adjunct professional professor right now, that you shape your SLP de- degree. You pick your concentration. 
And the point of their SLPD degree, the whole point of it being created was to serve underserved populations, which Georgia is just full of on a, on a, on a wide spectrum mm-hmm. of individuals. So it's everything from kids to people sitting in the woods on G-tubes that can't get access to services for swallowing. Don't think about if you want a career in academia, great. You know, PhD is probably what you want to do. But if you're wanting to just be a better speech therapist, you know, something like that SLP degree is a great way to go. I'm telling you, I know people that are far more successful with the SLPD than PhDs that I know out there right now working and practicing that have taken that degree and ran with it. So. There's just a lot of a lot of ways to go, a lot of potential for development, a lot of things that don't cost a lot of money. It doesn't cost you anything to do something like that administrator's degree um, that we were talking about. You know, you can do that for whatever the price of the test is and maybe buy a book. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to go back to school for something like that. And there are other opportunities like that out there. I think one, one more thing I wanted to mention, too, is I do this program pretty often. I'm doing it right now. It's called 75 Hard, and it's literally free. It's not, doesn't cost a thing, but um, it was put together by um, Andy Frisella. He's the CEO of a large vitamin and supplement company. And for 75 days, you work out twice a day. One workout is outside. So if you have to run in the rain for 45 minutes, you do it. Um, you have to follow a diet. doesn't matter what diet, just stick to one, whether you pick like one. low carb or yeah, just pick one, stick to it. Chocolate cake. Yeah. No, no alcohol, no junk food. Um, you have to read 10 pages of a professional development book and you have to take a progress picture. Cause a lot of times, how many times do we want to actually look ourselves in the mirror and take a picture of ourselves? Wow. Um, so you have to do all of these things for 75 days and I've done it a few times. I'm doing it again now. When people ask me, how do you have time to do everything? Doing this, you find so many minutes in your day that you're wasting. Um, how many minutes a day do you spend scrolling? Or how many minutes a day do you spend just watching a you know stupid show? Or just there's so many minutes of the day that aren't being productive. And I, and I want to talk about this term productive because it doesn't mean I don't subscribe to hustle, hustle culture. If that means you're taking 20 minutes out of your day to meditate, that's something important, right? But um, what's interesting is doing things like these challenges, they just create mental toughness and really finding out what you're made of and showing up with integrity and it, and it forms grit and fortitude and all these untangible skills that contribute completely to leadership development. Um, so I think, you know, starting with something like that, if, if anybody's interested, just Googling it. Um, I'm always interested, happy to talk about it. If anyone wants to send me a message on Instagram, I think I'm leading a group of like 10 other SLPs right now going through it. Um, but it's just a, it's a, if you just need to meet a new version of yourself, snap out of whatever you're going through right now. Um, it, it really just helps with mental toughness and really just breaking those stories that you've been telling yourselves for years about why you can't accomplish something. So, so, so maybe we can, uh, stick some, um, free resources on the end of this podcast for people. Maybe we can pick some books out and give somewhere to start that doesn't cost a thing. That would be great. Mm -hmm. I think I'm done. You're done. All right. Any final thoughts? We got to like wrap this up somehow. Nope. Um, Other than hopefully one day that we will develop this into something bigger and better. I have so many ideas. I know you have not a lot of free time at this point, but 
I would love for us to sit down and let's figure out let's figure out what we can do to help with leadership in the in the field. Sounds good. All right. All right. Yep. Thank you everybody for for tuning in. Let us know. You know, Vince and I obviously love talking about this. Happy to help anybody. I know he's on Facebook all the time. I'm on Instagram. So, you know, reach out to, to either of us and, you know, let us know if you have any questions and hopefully this episode and part one were, you know, provided some value to you. I think, you know, there's such a need for more SLPs in leadership positions and just, even if you're not in a named position, just having more leadership skills and, and there, you know, we do such amazing work in this field, in this world and, and getting our message out there more is just really what my whole, you know, vision and platform is all about. So Thank you for tuning in, everybody. And thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you as always. You are so welcome. I um, thoroughly enjoy doing this. I, you know, it gets my juices flowing. Now I'm, now I'm ready to go jump on some new projects. I'm all excited. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.